Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Ashley Smith. Father in heaven, just want to thank you so much for the opportunity, the privilege uh, that it is to worship you. Uh, may you speak today. May you inspire us as we open the words of life. May we see Jesus. May we see truth. May we be challenged, Lord, in order to be changed. Father, I ask and pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We've been going through our series in Revelation. Um, Those who have been here would have the, um, the added benefit of building from each successive presentation to where we are today. Last week, those who were here, there was a number who weren't here because of Pathfinders. We looked at Revelation chapter 13, and it was called the Final Conflict Part 1. Okay, so it's quite an intense title, isn't it? And from our study of Revelation chapter 13, Part 1, last week, we looked at the sea beast in Revelation chapter 13. It's quite an intense message, isn't it? For those who are here, was it an intense message? It's a good message? I hope so. It's in the Bible. You know, so it's, it's there. Um, today is part two. Now, I guess as we jump into the scriptures and as we explore what this means, I just want to show you a quick little picture up on the screen. What's that? And what's the ostrich doing? Hand the sand. I know that there may be people, and I'm not saying here, but I've encountered people as I've been in church land for a number of years that don't like messages like this that we've been looking at from Revelation because it kind of provokes a bit of fear. The Bible says the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of sound mind. But God still does give us a warning. Is that true? Now, I think sometimes there's a natural response from us when we have a message, a strong message, a message of warning. There's a tendency not to want to hear it. Now, you think about the prophets of old as they came to Israel, and as they gave the message, they gave the warning. Did the Israelites want to hear the message of warning? Did that protect them from what was about to happen? It came on them, actually, unawares. So we can be fearful of what may happen. We shouldn't be fearful of what may happen. We should have absolute trust in God. But fear and willful ignorance does not prepare you for the reality of what's about to come. For example, when we had the flood a couple, a few months ago, and the warning signals go out, the SES and everything, evacuation, evacuation, what sense would it make to sit in your house and say, oh, they're just trying to provoke a spirit of fear within me. I'm going to stay here. Is the flood going to come? It's going to come whether you're ready for it or whether you're not. And the amazing thing with God is God has actually revealed something to us in his words so we can be ready. We can be ready. And God wants us to be ready. That's why he's given us this message. So the first piece that we looked at in Revelation chapter 13 was the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. Okay, And we saw that to be the the Roman Catholic Church. Um, For those that weren't here last week, we'll kind of do a bit of revision just here. It's not the people, it's the system remember? This week we're looking at the second beast. It's called the United States. And what we're going to have a look at right now is we're going to see the United States then in times past, and we're going to see the United States now and what the United States is doing right now. So open with me to Revelation chapter 13. 
and verse 11. Revelation 13 and verse 11. Okay, the Bible reads this, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. So you see this progression in Revelation chapter 13, the previous verse, you see that there's a beast, the sea beast, the antichrist beast, it goes into captivity. And as it is going down into captivity, another power is coming up. It's coming to prominence. It's coming to power. It's a lamb-like beast that has two horns. It is lamb, is like a lamb, but it's not lamb-like. It speaks like a dragon. To illustrate that, I've got a picture here on the screen of two escalators. Somebody's going down, another person's going up, and they're meeting in the middle. As the Antichrist power, the, the papacy, as it received its mortal wound when Napoleon's armies went into Rome, went into the Vatican City, went into St. Peter's and took the Pope off his throne and actually took him into prison. That happened in 1798. Was America becoming a great nation around that period of time? The Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776. So as one power is going down, another one is coming up. This power could be nothing other than the United States of America. It's interesting that the timing is correct just here. But look at this. The picture that we see of this beast, the United States of America, it's coming up from somewhere. Where's it coming up from? Is it coming up from the sea? It's coming up from the opposite of the sea, which is the earth. What we looked at last week is we saw that the sea was a symbol, a prophetic symbol of what church? It was this prophetic symbol, according to Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, of many people. So the Antichrist rises up where there is a populated mass, a populated area. But the United States, the lamb-like beast that comes up in the late 1700s, comes up from the earth, which is the opposite. And you see this in the previous chapter, in chapter 12. It's talking about the same thing. But America, America, sorry, I'm mixing my words up. America is actually a refuge for those who are being persecuted. The history of the church. Look what it says. But the earth helped the woman. The woman is the church. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Who's the dragon? Satan is pursuing the church, so God opens up this new area, this new location where God's people fled, which was the United States of America. As they fled, the domination of kings and popes and priests in Europe, they went to a place that there was no king and there was no pope. And they were free to worship according to the dictates of their conscience. This could be nothing other than the United States of America. With this lamb-like beast that has two horns... Is there anything on these horns? Or is it just horns? What's so interesting here is that you actually find that these horns have no crowns. In Revelation chapter 13, when you're looking at the sea beast that comes up, there are crowns on all of its horns. Crowns? Who wears crowns? A king, you know, powerful religious leader. The Pope wears a crown. But America has no crowns on its horns. What does that mean? Well, it means it's a state without a king. There's no king to compel the conscience. And it's a religious, free state where there is no pope to enforce his own 
conscience upon the masses. So it's relatively free. It's open to people, and it's a diverse group of people. But the thing is with this beast, the thing is with America, it says that it rises like a lamb, but it speaks like a what? Dragon. Isn't that interesting? It has this external facade of godliness. What's a lamb? Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So it has this external veneer of godliness and Christ-likeness. It looks like a lamb, but it is not lamb-like. Now, I don't need to go into too many details here, but is that the case? It seems as if America has the, best, the world's best interests at heart. But does it speak like a dragon sometimes? Particularly when Donald Trump's running the show. You don't know what's going to happen. And this is exactly what is being communicated here. And you're probably thinking, well, what's the relevance of all of this for me? Well, isn't it easy for us as Christians to have an external veneer, an external facade of Christ-likeness? We make a profession of Jesus. We make a profession of God. But our lives don't really live up to the message in which we proclaim. We will call that hypocrisy. It's interesting here that our profession means nothing unless it is lived. Jesus says, by your fruits you shall know them. Paul actually says, you profess to know God, but in works you deny him, being disobedient, um, dishonorable, and disqualified for every good work. Profession means nothing unless it is a life that is lived. It's very easy to put on a face, to be a Christian one day a week. What do you like in your home? What do you like with your family? What do you like when no one's watching? There's a challenge there, isn't there, church? That Jesus needs to be in everything that we do. That we can't just look like Christians. We have to be Christians. Not just one day a week, every day of a week. It's abiding in Christ. For without that, you can do nothing. Revelation chapter 13 continues on. We see America... It grows up in innocence, but it becomes like a dragon. In verses 13 and 14, we see something that happens. It says, He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. This lamb-like beast church is not just America itself. It's Protestant America. It's a Protestant nation. And what you actually find as you look through the book of Revelation, there is a threefold union in the end. There's the dragon, which is Satan. There's the beast. We looked at that last week, which is Antichrist. And then there's the false prophet. What we're looking at here is we're going through this lamb-like beast, this one that has the appearance of Christ-likeness, is one who is falsely professing what he actually is. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. I'll show you this very, very clearly. Revelation 16 and verse 13. It's kind of like the, um, the counterfeit trinity. Look at this. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, which is Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false 
prophet. Isn't that interesting? It's a counterfeit trinity. What did Satan want to become in heaven? I will be like the Most High. That's the Father. What is the Antichrist? It's against or in the place of who? Christ, the false prophet. Prophets possess spiritual, you know, Holy Spirit. The Spirit abides within them, and they proclaim through the inspiration of God the message of God. You have the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's a false manifestation of that. You jump over to chapter 19, we see the false prophet again. In verse 20, it says, Then the beast was captured. This is at the end when Jesus comes. So the Antichrist was captured, and with him the false prophet who works signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. It's pretty intense, isn't it? So what we see, we see Catholicism, and we see Fallen Protestantism uniting here. They're clasping hands. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is this happening in the world today? I'm going to show you some pictures up on the screen. This man, you probably know who the man in white is. No one else wears clothes like that. And the guy on the right, I wish I didn't have to know. I I like wearing a jacket. Um, That man on the right is actually the, the leader of the Waldensian church couple of years ago. Um, this is actually the Waldensian church in Torre Polici. This is actually their church. Um, the Pope made a, made a special journey to go up to Torre Polici and he offered forgiveness for what the church had done over times past. Now that's awesome. Praise the Lord. A lot to ask forgiveness for. What happened with the Waldensians, if you're not crash hot on the history of the Waldensians, they were a group of Christians, primitive Christians who clung to the scriptures and believed teachings in the scriptures that the church, the institutional church of the day, did not agree with, so they sent armies after them and killed them. Mercilessly killed them. Hunted them out, threw them off cliff faces. Smoked them out alive. Men, women, children. Here we have this thing. All the press was there. The cameras were there. It was forgiveness. You can ask for forgiveness, but something that comes along with forgiveness is repentance. And repentance is saying, well, why? Why am I asking for forgiveness? They just needed to sit down and have a Bible say, this is why we had such a difference before. I'm going to show you a statement a little bit later. So we see that there's wounds that are being healed throughout the Christian world in general. Martin Luther, in 1517, October the 31st, he nailed his 95 theses to the door at the church at Wittenberg in Germany. Problems that he was saying he was a Catholic priest, he had some problems. He nailed them to the door, hoping to reform the church, but really what started was something called the Protestant Church, which we are a part of today, amen? We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the Waldenses and if it wasn't for Martin Luther and the men and the women that have gone before us paving the way through persecution and hardship. He nailed these 95 theses on the door at the Church of Wittenberg. Do you know what's happening 500 years later, the 31st of October, in Wittenberg. There's a garden just outside the church, and it's called Luther's Garden, and there's 500 trees in this garden. And each tree represents a church, or a district of churches. And in the very center of the garden, tree number two is the Lutheran church, tree number one is the Catholic church. 
And basically what's happening is there's this great big celebration of the Reformation. In 1999, the Lutheran headquarters and the Catholic, you know, groups, the body, they joined together and they signed this agreement, this joint agreement on the justification of faith. That's the issue that Martin Luther had. Every, he, would, he would roll over in his grave if he could see what was happening today. And when I was in Rome, there's a, there's a partner tree in the cathedral. It's called St. Paul's Outside the Walls. And you go through the cathedral, it's in Rome, and you go outside of the cathedral and there's this olive tree. And on the sign just here, this is what the olive tree, it reads. You probably can't see this here. If you want to copy this, I can give it to you. It says, Cardinal Kurt Koch, President of the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity, planted this olive tree on the 23rd of January 2011, linked to the tree placed in the Wittenberg Garden, Germany. It is a sign of the growth in communion between the Lutheran World Federation and the Catholic Church. Where's the protest? The protest on truth. I'm all for for dialogue and, 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 and forgiveness for things that have gone past, but never at the expense of truth. I'm going to show you something that's happening in the Protestant world. This is an Anglican bishop that has now passed. Um, He was presenting to a group of Protestants, charismatic Protestants in America. Look at what he says. That they may be one. It's the glory that glues us together, not the doctrines. And this, I'm going to show you a few more clips here, but this emphasis is based upon Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, that they may be one. But Jesus also says something very interesting in that chapter that they fail to recognize, where he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The thing that unites us is to be the truth. Not a compromise of truth, not a compromise of doctrine for the sake of convenience, but God's truth is God's truth. I mean, thousands, millions of people have died for the truth. And that we would turn around and forsake those things that those people have died for, for the sake of convenience and unity. What kind of unity is that? That's not unity, friends. That's confusion. And Babylon is confusion. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, Luther's protest is over. Is yours. This is presented not just to to two charismatics. This is presented to a massive charismatic church. Is is your protest over? We are Protestants. Whether you come here today as a Seventh-day Adventist, whether you come here today as a Baptist, whether you come here today as a Congregationalist, whether you come here today of any other denomination, you are Protestant. We protest sola scriptura, sola fide, Sola Deo Gloria, Sola Gratia, and Sola Christus. Scriptures alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and glory to God alone. So we are. Show me from the Bible. Show me from the Bible this type of unity. And I get a bit cheeky here because I challenge my Protestant pastor friends. If there is no more protest, how can there be a Protestant church? Maybe now we're all Catholics again. Interesting. Look at this. 
que vamos buscando juntos en el camino y mar hacer lo que estamos haciendo hoy orar hablar entre nosotros acortar distancias okay come and pray and encourage one another to dialogue it looks very nice but then it says to shorten the distance between us look at what it says in the great controversy The Roman Church now presents a fair front to the world, covering with apologies her record of horrible cruelties. Showed you an example of the Waldensi Church just there. She has clothed herself in Christ-like garments, but she is unchanged. There has been a change, but the change is not in the papacy. Catholicism indeed resembles much of the Protestantism that now exists. Look at this statement. God's word has given warning of the impending danger Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are, only when it is too late to escape the snare. Do we know what's going to happen next? I mean, the writing is on the wall, isn't it? These things are happening. There is a counterfeit Holy Spirit message going out here. The false prophet is preaching. There seems to be an apparent display of power and glory and favor from heaven. Fire comes down from heaven, from the false prophet. Does that remind you of the story of Elijah? They're on top of Mount Carmel, and fire does come down. But it's the opposite here. It is the false prophet, fallen Protestantism in America, that brings the fire down. It will deceive many. When Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel, he was the only one, and it came down and it verified the fact that he was a true prophet and God was with him. It also reminds me of Pentecost when the tongues of fire appeared above the heads of the apostles. But it's on the opposite foot here. It's proof to those watching on that God is with this counterfeit movement. In charismatic circles, do you see apparent display of power and glory? Does it appear as if God's blessing is there? This is paving the way, preparing the way. Isn't it interesting? All these things that God had prophesied are happening and are continue to happen until we see the final uniting between Catholicism and Protestantism. There is less of a distance today than what there have ever been. And you keep your eyes open for the 31st of October when the protest is officially called over. This is Washington Monument. I'm just going to show you a few stories just here. Washington Monument, this is in the United States of America. In the 1850s, this great big piece of marble was donated to the Americans to put into this Washington Monument. And on the front was engraved, From Rome. And it was in the Washington Monument. A few people were upset with that. They don't like church and state. They didn't like that being united. So in the middle of the night, nine of them, went down to Washington Monument with their chisels. They chiseled it out, broke it up, and threw it in the river. We don't want this in America. We don't. Fifteen years ago, Pope John Paul II gives a big block of marble from Rome, and they take out the block that was there, and they put it back in again. Things have changed, church. Things have changed. Look at this. 
March 22, 2001, Washington, D.C.'s Pope John Paul II Cultural Centre opened. Whereabouts did it open? What happens in Washington, D.C.? Politics. The politics of America, that's where it takes place. It was proposed for those various nations in Europe, or, or cities in Europe, but the Pope chose Washington, D.C., which he describes as the crossroads of the world. Look what the Cardinal says in commenting on this. Cardinal Maida said there was no illusion that putting the center in Washington would precipitate an immediate change in the thinking of presidents, Supreme Court justices, members of Congress, or other officials. But as we would tell the story better, people will be affected by osmosis. It's acclimatizing, isn't it? How do you change culture? You acclimatize them gradually, slowly. Two years ago, the Pope addressed Congress in America. Now, this is a religious leader standing before politicians addressing them. What other religious leader in the world does this? I can't think of any. Addresses the UN, addresses Congress, the most powerful nation on earth. This is the first time in the history of a Protestant nation that a, a religious, a Catholic religious leader has addressed, and the Pope himself has addressed Congress in America. Crazy. You know, I find it so amazing, you know, in the book The Great Controversy, that a little old lady wrote 150 years ago. If you don't have that book, you need to get that book. If you don't have that book, have a chat to Paul. He'll get you that book. Great book. If you read it before, read it again. 150 years ago, this little old lady wrote this book saying what we see today. People laughed at her. Why? She was saying that America would become a world superpower. Civil war was happening in America at the time she was saying that. Not very united. There was no railway system connecting the east to the west. But it's happened. And it is happening. Isn't it just amazing? God's word is confirmed. We're going to continue on in our study. I want to show you a few things. Back to Revelation 13 as we wind this thing up. Verse 12. And he exercises all the authority. America, fallen Protestantism, exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. There is this connection of church and state, religious and secular, and it's an enforcing worship. Keep that in mind as we continue reading here. Verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. I'm not going to get into detail today about what the mark of the beast is. That's for another sermon, for another time. But what you just see here in the text that we have just read, that church and state are uniting. They already have. You know why Donald Trump got elected to be the president? Because the religious right voted him in. And now he's kind of a puppet for them. It's true. 
a lot of the controversies that are happening in America because of this fact. Pope John Paul II's funeral, front row seat, center front row, three, two ex-presidents, one current president, kneeling there for five minutes. There was four kings at this funeral. There were five queens at this funeral. 700,000 people packed into St. Peter's Square. Two billion people watched it on TV. The most watched funeral service ever. And probably some say the most, the, the most assembled, you know, this greatest assembly of political leaders ever as well. Crazy. Interesting. You know, church, the Bible tells us that there will be a deception in the end. Fire comes down from heaven. There appears as if God is with those who are pushing these things. But the reality is when you forsake God's word for the, for the, for the desire of unity, you don't really have unity. You have deception. The counterfeit is so close to the original that it is hard to pick. That's why Jesus says that even the very elect in the end will be deceived. That's why Jesus says, watch. Keep your eyes open. Keep aware of the things that is coming to the earth because heads are turning back. A hand has reached across the, 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 the great gulf and they're taking hands. Protestantism and Catholicism are happening. And people's heads are turning around. Not in a good way, but in a bad way. You know, um, I remember when I was preaching a prophecy series um, in 2014 for the Arise program. And there was a young lady who walked into the room mid-presentation. Mid it was Rosie. And she walked in and, you know, my preaching got better. Um, it's like this glow, this angel just like walks into the room. There was like singing and, you know, no. And she sat down. I remember, see, this was the center. There was chairs on this side. She was sitting that side. And as I was presenting and as I was scanning the crowd, I was just always scanning and looking at her. I don't know if she can remember that. She turned my head a number of times. This is probably a really bad illustration. Um, sorry, Rosie, for using that as an illustration to describe Protestantism and Catholicism uniting. Um, heads are turning. Heads are turning. There seems to be an attraction here. And the Bible's very clear about this. You know, um, this deception is so close to the original. It is a deception, the Bible tells us, that will eventually end in persecution. How did we get to this point? How will we get to this point? It seems as, oh, that's impossible. That won't happen. You know the debate that's been happening in the past few weeks? How did we get to that point? Did we just wake up yesterday morning and be like, wow, let's change the definition of marriage? I mean, I won't be able to talk about this soon. Reality. No, it's an acclimatizing. It's getting used to it. I believe, and this is just my thought, I'm just throwing it out here, and I believe that it's after generation after generation as the institution of marriage has been watered down. It's so easy to get into and it's so easy to get out of. It affects successive generations in the family unit, family unit, until we get to a point where it's not as sacred as what it once was. But it's taken a while to get there. You acclimatize, you get used to it, it becomes a norm. Where will this end? Where will any of this end? Well, we just read it. We see it. It's happening and it's coming. It's a public test church that will end in a public 
deliverance of God's people. As we wrap this story up, the young people had the privilege this week of Pastor Matt preaching for them at their woes. He was talking of Babylon. He talked on Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, God's people in the midst of Babylon who were confronted with a challenge, a terrible challenge. Would they bow down and would they compromise their conscience for the sake of convenience or would they stand true to their God? There's nothing new here, church. In Revelation chapter 13 into 14, you see the beast's call for worship seven times. Worship the image, worship the beast, bow down, worship, 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 worship. And one time and only one time do you see God saying, hey, worship me who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. God only has to say it once. And he's already said it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood to their convictions in what God had said. And when the music sounded, a great display of power, a great display of glory, and everyone else around them bowed, they said no. There was a faithful remnant who said, no, we're going to stand. Did God bless them? Did Nebuchadnezzar get upset? Well, Nebuchadnezzar came out, and I love the description, Matt, where he said the vein popped out probably in his head or his neck. Gave him a chance. And I just love what they said. There's a sermon that a man by the name of Martin Luther King preached, and it's called But If Not. Go on YouTube and watch it. It's powerful. They look at the king, the most powerful man in the world, the ruler of Babylon. You have to see the end time significance here. The ruler of Babylon, he erects an image of worship. He calls them to fall down and worship it at the pain of death. But God's people are delivered through it. Worship, 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 worship. The king had set it up, set it up, set it up, set it up. They look at the king and they say, King, we are not careful in the way that we answer you. It's pretty bold, isn't it? We're not careful. The God in whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and from your hands. And I love this twist. They say, but if not, we will not bow. It's easy to have faith in God when you know he's going to deliver you out of the trial. But what if you have to go through the trial? The faith that we must have, the faith of Jesus, is a regardless faith. I will trust God through the storm, through the fire, in spite of the pain or the persecution which I may receive, I will trust him anyways. It's not a convenient faith. It's a faith that's based upon convictions. But if not, that's the faith that we ought to have. Whether we're delivered from the trial or whether we go through the trial, God calls us to be faithful. And the good news, church, is this. Jesus is with you to the end. He's with you in the furnace. He's with you in the fire. And everyone around you may forsake you. Jesus never does. This issue is heating up. Things are going to happen. But greater is he who is with us than he that is in this world. We know how it's going to end, church. But the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The flood is coming. The warning has gone out. And we... 
above all people, should be ready. The watchman must give the trumpet sound. A certain note. It's my responsibility. And as I look at what's happening in the world, my conviction is getting stronger and stronger every day. Things are starting to wind up. I don't know when. Could be in a number of years. I'm no doomsday prophet. But I can see there's writing on the wall there and we are rapidly approaching. We are, I believe that we are past a point of no return. As a world, like seriously, economically, are we in a good position? I was listening to the news the other day. Now, I'm not the type of person that listens to the news so I can get little things for my revelation sermons. But the whole Brexit thing, I think Europe wants um, the UK to pay them $200 billion for leaving Brexit. I mean, no way they have that much money. We're in a massive hole economically. My business teacher said when I was younger that when America sneezes, the whole world catches a cold. Um, financially, they're stuffed. Environmentally, how are we going there? You think of society, it's going pretty good. I mean, this can't go for much longer. Will you be the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that say today, who stand up in the little things, who purpose in their heart today, that when tomorrow comes, they have the faith that they can say, but if not, we will serve him. Father in heaven, Lord, we want that but if not faith. You are the one who provides us faith. And Father, we believe but help our unbelief. Father, may we not stick our head in the sand. May we not ignore the message that you have given us for the sake of convenience. May we be ready. May we study your word. May we trust in Jesus today. May we love Jesus today. May we spend time with him today that when tomorrow comes, Father, we're on this journey, this wonderful journey all the way to the kingdom. Lord, may you watch over us. May this sermon not be misinterpreted. May it not cause unnecessary alarm or fanaticism. But Father, may we have the spirit of understanding in the times in which we live. May we take the words of Jesus which says, Occupy until I come to watch but to still live in our community and to prepare our community. Give us the wisdom that we need, Lord, that we may find the balance that you want us to have. But, Father, may we never compromise truth for the sake of being politically correct or for the sake of convenience. Father, may we be like Daniel. May we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And ultimately... May we be like Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. 
Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
His robes for mine, O wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works, not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done." Sin's wage is paid, propitiation won. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my own, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He as though I, accursed and left alone. I as though he, embraced and welcomed home. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My prayer That was His Robes for Mine, and all those melodious harmonies were brought to us by Ben Everson. Before that, we were listening to more of him with the Neblet family, and before that again, we had the Old Rugged Cross, and that was played by Kristen Wilkinson and Larry Paxton. 
Coming up next, The Language of Canaan, Nathan Young from the Pillars of Our Faith, Volume 1. Oh, that I could talk in the language of Canaan. I could tell a little of the glory of a better world. In the language of Canaan I could tell a little of the glory Of a better world Where there is no night And the lamb is the light Wonderful things the Lord showed me of heaven, I cannot describe. I saw there tables of stone in which the names of the multitude of the redeemed were engraved in letters of gold. After we beheld the glory of the temple, we went out and Jesus left us and went into the city. Soon we heard his lovely voice again saying, Come, my people, you have come out of great tribulation and done my will, suffered for me. Come in to supper, for I myself will serve you. We shouted, Alleluia, glory, and entered into the city. And I saw a table of pure silver. It was many miles in length. Yet our eyes could extend over it. I saw the fruit of the tree of life, the manna, almonds, figs, pomegranates, grapes, and many other kinds of fruit. Then Jesus said, You must go back to earth again and relate to others what I have revealed to you. Then an angel bore me gently down to this dark world. Sometimes I think I can stay here no longer. All things of earth look so dreary. I feel very lonely here, for I have seen a better land. Oh, four wings like a dove, so that I could fly. Jordan Ooh, to a better place where there's sweet repose. 
It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.